Shepherds of Men is a secular movement started by three men of faith. We wholeheartedly believe that when we get the men right, we get the world right. We believe this because we believe that men are created and called to be leaders, and we believe there is an alarming deficit of leadership in our world today. And although the three of us have come from drastically different backgrounds, our core principles have given us a unified voice that is needed now more than ever to pave the way for a fundamental change in our culture. We are quite literally calling men to something great. Welcome to the movement. Welcome, everyone, to the Movement Podcast. Pumped to be with you this week. I'm here, as always, with my brother from another mother, JP. Good morning. What's up, dude? How are you? Man, I'll tell you what. I am blessed and highly favored. That is for sure. Got a good workout this morning. Feel great. Been up since 5, ready to rock and roll. Man, you know, you beat me. I was up at 5.45, and it wasn't because I was working out, although it should have been. That's my intentions. It was because I was literally just hacking up God knows what. Um, Technically, you beat me. You're an hour ahead of me. So you were 15 minutes before me. It was 4.45 my time when you got up. Good point. I went. All right. I'll take it. I feel better about it. I've eaten more cough drops today than I have breakfast. Let's just put it that way. um, But uh, anyways, man, we're pumped to be here. This is this is going to be an exciting episode. We've got a new friend on here with us and you guys kind of know how we do. We we get to learn about our guests the same time you do. Um, We were introduced to Mr. John Henry Parker by a mutual friend um and we're just excited to to get to know him and uh the background what we know so far uh, i have no doubt that this conversation is going to be impactful so make sure you you, you know you're listening you're taking notes and you're digging into this because number one um john is a marine veteran so i mean just huge respect for everything you've done just in that realm alone um and then we'll let him tell you about the rest of his background as far as what he's done in personal development, the people he's worked with and um, his influences and things like that. So without further ado, welcome, Mr. John Henry Parker. Thank you for being here, sir. Great to be here. I've been looking forward to it. And we know it's early. You're out on the West Coast. So at, at the time of this recording, uh, we say it's early. We're starting at 6 a.m. your time. But for a Marine, that's like you're two hours into your day, right? Oh, yeah. I've been up for a bit. Yeah, nice, nice. So let's just get right into it. We were talking uh, just pr- prior to hit and record a little bit about our movement, how we started Shepherds of Men, the Men Reforge program, what that means to us, what we believe our, our calling is with this. And um, th- there's a, obviously a lot of alignment from, from what we can tell so far. Um, but just for our edification and for, for that of our, our listeners, give us um, you know your quick rundown bio, I guess, and let us know where you're coming from. All right. Well, uh... I spent a few years in the Marine Corps uh, and, uh, man, got out in 1986. And so uh, had a hard time adjusting out of the mentality that is really just kind of drilled into you and you you love it, you know. And But I was a hard-headed, you know, Marine and didn't need to be told what to do and, you know, had a rage problem. It got me a lot of trouble growing up, uh, got me a lot of trouble in the Marines. And, you know, had a substance abuse challenge. I was never an alcoholic or drug addict, but man, I could put on a bender, you know, and, and just uh, numb out. And um, uh, I grew up with a lot of trauma. Uh, my, my father was a Marine Corps combat vet uh, from Korea. Uh, he was a demolitions guy. And then he went to Vietnam and switched over to the Air Force, went to Vietnam and was a reconnaissance photographer and got shot down with his pilot and had to evade capture and living in the swamps and the rivers and stuff. And he just was all messed up inside, you know, and he drank a lot and he was extremely violent, like felony, like level abuse. You know, he should have gotten to prison. And so that's what I grew up inside the house. And then I grew up in a, a, a bad part of South Phoenix, you know, Southwest Phoenix. And uh, there's a lot of crime, a lot of drugs of violence and um you know got terrorized by groups of guys chased all the time every time i came out of my house you know just too many people all around they're like predators man and so you know getting in in fights with like groups of guys all the time getting you know just constantly harassed and chased 
And so, you know, I went in the military to kind of deal with all that. I'm mean, just going to tell you, I just, I didn't want to, I, I wasn't going to take anybody's shit anymore. So I need to figure out uh, how to take care of myself and like who I was. And all my friends had felonies, so they couldn't get out of the neighborhood. So I was the only one out of the guys that I ran with that could actually get out. And, um, you know, so a long story short is, you know, I, I had a great time in the Marines. I had, it was an incredible experience. And, you know, uh, it's all, I, I wrote a book recently all about this, this whole journey, you know? And so, uh, I, I, I found out that I, had, I was a nonconformist, like the instant I got into Marine Corps boot camp. Like I didn't like to be told what to do. And, that, <laughs> and so that was like a real, like I already knew that, but until you're locked in on a base where you can't leave and you got to deal with everything, it's just like, you're like, holy shit. Like, why did I do this? You know? Um, and so I talk a lot about the Marine Corps in my, in my book. Uh, it's also an audio book in, you know, in case people prefer that, but uh, I What's learned the name a lot. Of the, book, Tom? the name of the book is Be the Dawn in the Darkness, The Relentless Pursuit of Becoming Who We Are Meant to Be. And it's really, it's a, it's a book about men's work. It's a book about men's work, but it's also a book for the women who love us and want to understand us. And, um, and it's a narrative memoir. It's just, it's, it's a trans, a transformational body of work, but it's disguised as a narrative memoir. And so I'm, I'm sharing what, what I learned through visceral experiences, right? Storytelling. And so the, the person is not being told this is how to live your life. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, this is what I went through and this is what I had to learn. And but the, the the book and the audiobook is really as much about the power of female mentors and matriarchs. Like I had a great aunt Gladys who would come and visit with us for a couple of months a year during my formative years, like, you know, four to five, four to eight, four to nine, I think it was. And she would come live with us for a couple of months a year. And she was a Canadian journalist during the Nazi invasion of Paris. And she was a really like an incredible lady who wrote a book about it and then was on a history channel, Canadian history channel. So I grew up while I had this violent inside my house, violence outside the house. And it was just, it was always you know, risk-taking. I also had this matriarch on my shoulder who was advising me and talking to me all the time. <clears throat> and so I had the benefit over my sister and brother <clears throat> because she would get up at 4.30 in the morning and make breakfast, and I would wake up and go sit with her for a few hours every day. And that was my nourishment. You know, I just was just eating it up. And so she provisioned me to save my own life. She provisioned me for the journey ahead. And she also provisioned me for what an intelligent, really loving, authentic, you know, matriarch right, was what, what she was all about. So, so my life really had a parallel. And um, I'll share a couple, I'll share some nuggets with you guys that um, probably the biggest thing, biggest thing that she told me that I carried through in my life was that uh, she'd studied all the different religions in the world and that all the major religions. And she said that um, she never gravitated towards any one of them, but she noticed that there was a common thread that ran through all the faiths. And if you take out the extreme aspects of most, there was this fundamental, and she said, it's God is love. She said, if you can understand that and you can hold that, you can get along with anybody from anywhere. And if you choose a religion, that's great. But she asked me if she thought, you know, do you think God is love? And I, and I thought about it and I had to say, that's not true for me. It may be true for you. But if God is love, why is this all happening to me? You know, why am I, why is my dad so violent to all of us? And what's, what's, you know, so I couldn't believe it. And so she said that someday you're going to find your purpose and you're going to find that God is love for yourself. It's just going to take some time. And so that rang true. Like I wanted to believe it. <clears throat> I did that. I, of course I wanted to believe God is love. And 
but I got in so many different violent situations and life-threatening situations that I, I would often ask myself just before the impact or just before what was going down was happening. I, I would like, if God is love, why is this happening to me? <laughs> I don't get it, you know, and I still don't get it. And, uh, and I didn't discover what that really meant for me until I was 52. I'm 61 now. So uh, 52 years old, didn't have any joy, not one little speck of joy in my life, my whole life. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing some plant medicine journeys with a bunch of bunch of guys, you know, and uh, and I found it for myself and I really, really was able to connect with it, you know, and. Um, so that's about my background. It's like I, my, I, I paralleled getting you know, out of the, the, mil in the military with my, with my great aunt, you know, into my forties, she was there with me and always just kind of available. And, um, by chance I got into the personal development field and that's another conversation, but another yeah, I wanna, thing I want to, uh, just hit on something real quick because it's interesting that this came up, but we're on the heels of mother's day at the time of this recording yesterday was mother's day. And, yeah, yeah. you know, we do, obviously we honor all the, the mothers for, for what they do. And, and our church does a big thing for it. And they were doing that yesterday. And it's just, you know, it's a, it, the, the sentiment is, um, I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot, but I think some people misunderstand. I know for a fact, some people misunderstand what we do and what our purpose is. For, and, and, you know, I think in society in general, you see that where it's like, you know, masculinity is toxic. Masculinity is under attack. And, you know, it's, and I think the misunderstanding there is that there's, you know, more value or, you know, that we, you know, men are better than women or there's always there always seems to be this division. And, you know, that couldn't be further from, from the truth for us. We do believe that men are created to lead and we do believe that men are created to be the head of the household. And, you know, there's there's a certain role that a man was designed to play and created to play. There's also a certain role that a woman was designed and created to play. And there, nobody can do it better. Like, like for us to try to step in and do what a woman can do or what a, the, the matriarch of the family can do is impossible. We would never, we would never be able to have the impact they would have. And especially you said you got nourishment for her. I thought that was such an amazing way to put that because it's so true. It's such a different, the nurturing nature of a mom or an aunt or a grandma or whoever is, uh, you know, drastically different from that of a man. My wife tells me all the time, she's like, I love my kid. I've got three boys. Josh has, I don't know how many. You got any more since last time we talked? <laughs> <laughs> he keeps having them. I learned how to, I learned how to make it stop. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got three boys and you know I, I love them like I'm crazy about my kids um but the way that I interact with my kids is different than the way that my wife interacts with my kids and that doesn't mean that I don't hug hug on my kids and kiss on my kids I'm probably more affectionate than affectionate than most dudes um but there's also a time where my tone is different and the way that I handle situations are different and my wife tells me sometimes, she's like, you just say things differently than I say it. And sometimes it needs to be said the way you say it from dad. And sometimes it needs to be said the way I say it from mom. And, and she's 100% right. You know, so I just I wanted to hit on that as you were talking about it, because obviously you're, you, you said it was your aunt, right? Yeah. She, I mean, she obviously played an incredibly valuable role in your life. And it's it's so important to to uh, understand that that there there is a hugely valuable role that needs to be played by both. We just I have never been a woman, so I don't really uh, coach them or or try to teach people how to be good ones. Uh, we work on men, you know. But I appreciate you so much for for adding that in there. Yeah, it's <clears throat> yeah, I, I it's a tribute to to Gladys. You know, she, we need more Gladys in the world. That'd be my point of view. Yeah. You know, <laughs> somebody who's been through a lot. And, um, you know, she was a Canadian war correspondent during the Nazi invasion of Paris when women didn't travel alone and women weren't war correspondents. And, uh, you know, she wasn't able to go where some of the men were able to go, but she wrote a lot of stories. And she was uh, she was really there to keep Canada informed about why they were in the war. And she worked with the French resistance. She got information to and from them. She, you know, she's just an amazing person. She wrote a book about it and she was in a documentary. And, and then basically, you know, she was awarded a, a, a medal of honor by the French government after the war. So you have this really wow. 
incredible person. And then she worked for the French embassy in Ottawa for 30, 30 years, you know? So I, I think that there are, what I'm learning in the world is, you know, there are, there are, there are different types of relationships between men and women where I, 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 I know because my wife is a very, very successful business person and uh, does amazing things. And we have a, a lot of equilibrium in our relationship where our roles are really like mutual adoration. That's what tends to work for us, you know? And, and it's so, but I understand what you, what, what you're saying is that there are, you know, there are things that we are really, that we really excel at as men. And that's why I, I pretty much stick to men's work as well. You know, um, I, I say that it's honest because we can unpack things together as men that we would never, never, ever let out of the bag if any women were present, you know, yeah. and, you know, things that are just difficult about shame and about regret and about, you know, things that happen to us that we need to process. And if you get a, a sacred space with a bunch of men, you know, there's no better place to do it. And that's what's proven for me to get me through um, a, a lot of my reconciliation with, you know, my history, being able to get it out. Yeah. So uh, you were talking about your history and, and dealing with, you know, things, trauma in your life. Could, could you share as much or as little as you want to about some of those traumatic things? Uh, and you already mentioned your father and uh, some of the situation there, but I, I understand that you had some pretty serious loss too throughout your life. Yeah, I lost both my, my only brother and my only son to motorcycle accidents, hmm. you know, and so, um, you know, it's just, just, just walks up and knocks you down, you know, there's an Otis Taylor song I really like. He said, death ain't, death ain't going to touch you in your heart. It's just going to come on up. It's just going to walk on up and knock you down. And that's, that's what happened for me is that uh, it came out of the blue and um, my son, he did two tours in Afghanistan uh, with the 10th mountain division. And he was just total badass and, you know, came home and he needed adrenaline to get his energy uh, out. Okay. So he can go home and sleep. And, you know, this one night, he's just doing 120 miles an hour down an unlit road outside of Syracuse you know, and uh, yeah, that's what happened. Just lost control of it. And so um, for, for me, like I look at who I am now and it's, and I, I have really mixed feelings about like, I'm, I'm thrilled that I've been able to open up myself. I've cracked open so much that I grew and I transcended and I became the wounded healer for 10 years where I was just lost in purgatory and I was adopting you know, at-risk vets who were in trouble and suicidal. And I just started hanging out with them. I just started, you know, it's being there and showing up. And for me, that helped me move my pain because um, I didn't know what else to do with it because it was eating me alive. I was virtually suicidal at one point. You know, I was just, I didn't have, didn't have any meaning. And, you know, just everything just kind of like, you know, evaporated. So it's like at some level, you know, he's the, he's the thing that helped me really helped everybody know that I ever existed. Right. So. So that's what really helped me was just getting out there and being of service to others while. Oh man, while I was just trying to move this pain around. So it didn't eat me alive. And I just, I, I just kept moving. I just kept, you know, helping others. And, you know, it was, it was a fair exchange because I needed, I needed to know that I was making a difference. And that worked for me for 10 years until I could really transcend a lot of this. But like I said, it's bittersweet. Like you miss someone and it's like, it's a terrible void, but also uh, who I become wouldn't have happened had it not been so tragic, you know? I'll, I'll share a little bit about our story here with Shepherds of Men. Um, when we started in 2019, there was four of us. And uh, it really, I mean, it was four just great friends. 
and having conversations about things that we saw in the world. And then it turned into, you know, maybe we should have these conversations on a microphone and start a podcast because why not, you know? And, uh, you know, one of, one of our good friends uh, really kind of took on the, the face of the production side of it at one point and then kind of moved on to some other things. We're all still very great. There's no issues there. Um, and then so then it was just three of us. And then in um, September of 2021, uh, our, our friend and brother, Chris Wilson, passed away, 37 years old. Um, mm -hmm. And it was one of those kind of like what you were saying. It wasn't like a, a long process where we had time to come to terms with it. It kind of snuck up on us and kicked us right in the face, you know. Um, and uh, there was uh, the, the word evaporation that you used is probably the most accurate word that I have heard of the feeling that you have. It's like it's hard to explain. Right. Um, yeah. And it's welling up right now. But it's hard to explain that feeling when when something some like kind of loss like that that happens especially you know in a in a quick you know in an unexpected manner uh but the you know, for one for us as as believers JP and I you know we have a lot of peace in in uh eternity with with Wilson as we called him um but we also uh have felt a, the the role that that played in what we're doing with Shepherds of Men and then the Men Reforge program, um, it really took on new meaning and, and new motivation. Um, and uh, we we were kind of dabbling at moving from just recording a podcast to actually moving into men's coaching and doing live events and all these kinds of things and stuff we had talked about. We had even started planning and some things like that. But it, with with Wilson's passing, it was like like we got to go. Like there's never been a more important time because he was a father, you know, he was a husband and there were, there, there's other people out there that like, we, we've got to help this next generation. So I agree with what you're saying in a weird way. It was like the, the, the positive side of it was, and still is that he is very much with us and very much uh, a driving force in what we're doing because he was really the heart behind everything we do. I mean, like we already determined JP's the looks. Apparently I have the brains according to JP but Wilson was the heart. I mean, he really was. He he was all heart. Um, we used to joke about him being like a Labrador uh, or a, a Labrador. He just throw a tennis ball and he chase after it, and he's just smiling and wagging his tail all the time, you know. Um, right, and right. he loved people <laughs> on such a deep level. And so that's something that JP and I, I think, have been able to take on some of his character traits of how much he loved people, and we we get to remind ourselves of that, uh, and and hopefully you know uh, duplicate that in some form or fashion with what we're doing, but. Um, it's just, it, it is interesting how those things, uh, change your perspective and, and end up being an asset for you as crazy as that sounds. It's a catalyst, man. I could give you two things that wouldn't have been born into existence had he not passed away that are directly related to his legacy. You know, he and I were conceptualizing an audio book for transitioning combat vets because they don't want to talk to anybody, period. You know, they don't want to show they're weak. You know, they don't want anything in their medical records that shows they went and got help. So the next person, next promotion, they think, you know, we, we think they're going to pick the guy that didn't get help or the gal, you know, uh, they, and, and, and then you risk your security clearances if you have too much psychological, you know, uh, counseling. At least that's the perception of a warrior, you know, like elite kind of mentality. You know, you don't go seek help. You deal with it. You know, and that is a real big challenge. And so after working with transitioning vets for 20 years, we gather all this incredible data and insights into like just how to talk to vets, you know, just how to help them and what specifically to say and how to help their families have conversations with them. And so after he died, uh, we were conceptualizing an audio book and I finished it and I published it in 2017. He died in 2009. So it took me a bunch of years, but I carried on this project and I wrote it. And uh, you can go to transitioningveteransbook.com. And uh, there's a couple of explainer videos. Like I didn't want to talk about my son. So I created one of those really cool hand drawing animated videos to talk about what's this whole thing about, you know? And so veterans can listen to it in the privacy of their own mind and not have anybody know they're getting help. 
So that was really important to us that we do something where families could learn how to better understand what their vets are going through and then how veterans could just quietly start putting two and two together. Like since before Homer wrote the Iliad like 2,600 years ago, warriors have gone to war and families have waited for them to get home. There's no new story here. It's just a different era, but the same fundamentals. How do you unpack this stuff that you do and say and how you are meant to be? And then you come home, you're, you have to put it back on safe and you're supposed to sit there and watch the grass grow. You know, they, 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 they want you to be totally out of control, but then it's no longer okay. So all these things played into like a lot of vets killing themselves because they just, uh, they don't understand. Uh, like where, where, who are they? Like where their life is heading. And so this, this audio book was about a big part of it was just being right up front about the barriers to care. Why vets don't seek help to where they nod their heads saying, yep, that's it. Yep. That's it. And then just talking about these absolutes and then really laying it out to them that a, a big reason why vets get lost is because they lose identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. They give you that. They give you an identity. They galvanize an identity. They give you a mission every day and it's challenging and it's awesome. You know, and you're a force of nature. When you earn whatever rank or whoever you are, whatever status as a Marine or ranger or whatever man like that's your that's who you are period you know and we get out you're not well who are you you know nobody's giving you a mission every day and then meaning and purpose like you it's exhilarating being around people where they got your back you got their back and you can do anything with them and all of a sudden you got nobody so that's a big part of this work is, and I actually did it as a dual narration with another veteran. His name is Yonel Dorellis. He's a, he's an actor, but, but he's also been in four of the five branches as a, a combat rescue helicopter pilot. You know, so he's really, he's lost a lot of friends, too many. Um, so he plays the voice of the critical mind that's always hijacking moments in the back of our mind. Anybody who's got trauma or depression or whatever they got, most everybody has a critical mind that's always hijacking and, and whispering on our ear or waking us, up, waking us up in the middle of the night. So Yonel plays the voice of the critical mind, the unreasonable mind, and I play the voice of the rational, reasonable mind that's talking to you right now. And so it's a banter back and forth for about an hour and 20 minutes. And he's a hardcore New Yorker, man. So he's just, he just sounds like he can kick the shit out of somebody, you know? And that's why I love him. You know, that's, the, that's kind of the voice in my back of my mind is a really tough, like New York. I hung out with a lot of guys from Boston and New York and East coast, you know, a lot of tough guys. And so, so I found you and Ellen, we recorded this thing. And um, it's really designed to help people self-regulate when they get triggered and how to do that very quickly. So that's an example of something that was born into existence because my son, Danny, existed. Let's see. Um, and the second book that just came out, Be the Dawn of the Darkness, is really about my dad and combat trauma and how that impacted the family, uh, how I grew up. And then how my son, you know, grew up and, you know, he got killed and all that stuff. Talked about my brother and everything. But um, something that I'm really proud of was when I was a little kid, Glad made me make a promise to her that I never broke. And that was that I would never hit my son, or my kids. When I grew up, I'd be, a, I'd be a, somebody, I'd be a father, but I'd never hit my kids in anger and I'd never have them live in fear of me. And I made that agreement. I never broke it. And I made that with my son when he was eight years old and we never broke it. So that's a huge accomplishment when you have multi, just, just generational trauma. The men are all violent in my family. You know, so these are things that I get to talk about now that are incredibly relevant to men. And I can't tell you how many people have read my book and they said, you know what? I made that agreement with my kids. They're old enough to understand it. And it's changing how they look and view at the power that they wield. Even when they're angry at someone else, you're scaring the shit out of your kids. 
and you got to pay yeah. attention to that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I remember times as a kid, my dad's, uh, he was, he was strict, but never violent. Um, and never really quick to anger, but I, I was in environments where I saw other grown men. I just remember like them getting angry or <laughs> about something at somebody else, not at me, but I remember having that little sense of fear. Like this, this seems scary, <laughs> you know, like homeboy is big and he's angry. I don't know what's about to go down. So JP, you've been quiet, man. Yeah, no, I've just been listening. Uh, you know, a lot of this is really good. I know, uh, you know, John, just so you know, we've, we're, we're probably, I don't know, getting close to 150 episodes in on our, our podcast. So we've, we've talked a lot, uh, about trauma. I've got past trauma, uh, nowhere, nowhere near as bad, um, as, as what you've experienced, um, in your past, uh, just stuff personally for me, uh, some abuse, very similar to like what you're talking about growing up as a child and stuff like that. Um, and we talk about, um, you know, having having a dark side and not necessarily hiding from it, uh, but learning how to control uh, the dark side that is actually developed through those those times of trauma. Right. And I know we've we've got a mentor and I know that you believe in mentors <clears throat> big time, but we have we have a mentor that's told us that, you know, trauma that's not transformed is transmitted. Uh, so if you don't transform the trauma, you're going to transmit it to your kids or other people that are around you that care about you, uh, different things of that nature. Uh, but we also talk a lot about, you know, association, right? And, and mentorship can be kind of plugged into the association portion of it, right? Like, who are you listening to? Who Who's pouring into you and different things of that nature? Um, and I've always been really intrigued with, because I've, I've witnessed <laughs> firsthand households where two kids can grow up in the exact same environment. And, and one turn out to be, you know, something that, you know, aspires to be great or whatever it may be and disciplined and, and all these different things and can look at bad situations like an alcoholic father and different things like that um, and bad environments and say, I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to live, you know, a life of greatness. I'm going to live a life of servitude. I'm going to, I'm going to do something and give back. And the other child in the same household, decides to go down the same path and become a victim and, and, and create that kind of mentality of entitlement and, you know, the, the poor pitiful me. And then it turns into violence and drinking and all these different things that, that happens. You had every reason and every excuse to become the latter of the two of those based off the environment that you grew up in. Uh, do you think it was a non-conformity kind of personality that caused you to go, I'm not going to be like that. That shit's not for me. That's not the person that I am. Or can you talk a little bit about where that diverged? Maybe it was your aunt or, or whatever it may be, but can you talk about where the divergence was there that really kind of repelled you from that kind of environment? Well, I knew I was inherently good, you know, glad. It's amazing the power that one healthy adult of good character can have for life. And she told me when I was a little kid <clears throat> that I was going to do extraordinary things with my life. And I, I believed her because she said it and she set me in like she, every, every Christmas she would send me three books, these old cloth bound books, like Gulliver's travels or Michael Michelangelo or the Trojan horse you know, and before I could read, I was looking at these pictures and just marveling. And my mom would explain them and she would explain them to me, you know. So just, uh, and then I'd go to my grandparents on my mom's side and they were affluent and they were successful Canadian business people living in Nogales, Arizona, you know. And so I had these really incredible examples of what affluence and 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 brilliance really felt like. But then I'd be stuck in this prison with this warden, you know? And so, yeah, there was something about the provisioning that was done for my hero's journey when I was really young. It literally told me that something magical is going to happen with my life and I'm going to be free someday to live my own life. And I just focused on, man, I remember one time I got in so much trouble, I got kicked out of school. And they said, you're not graduating with your class. And my dad just got so upset. 
I came in the next day and he's got an application on the kitchen table for the job core. You know, Chicano's Porta Casa. He's like, you're going to go learn how to be a concrete pour or a bricklayer, but you're not living in my house rent free. And I'm like, what's the job core? And he's like, it's a place you're going to go live until you graduate with a, a, so you can get a job. And all I heard was go live there. I couldn't, I hardly couldn't stop. I was smiling inside so big, uh-uh. you know? So, I mean, I got to tell you, it's, that's the power of paying attention to how you're showing up with kids, protect them and tell them they're going to be great. And they'll believe you because you said it, you know, these are small little things, but that's what made a difference for me. That The one thing that actually stands out in my life, it's that moment. I, I really, I really love that you went that direction. Um, cause that's, that's a big thing, uh, for us. Right. And that's one of the, the, the big profounding impacts that we want to make in society today is as a man. And, and that's what we can speak to. I think you could say as a person, as, as a whole, but as a man, what you do is, is very profound, whether you believe it or not. Right. We talk to, you know, clients and stuff like that all the time about just say hi, say something nice to somebody like, especially kids, like, cause you never know what that kid's going through. You never know what that kid's going back home to, you know, and, and, and you might be just the one statement that you make to that kid might create enough hope and that mustard seed for that child to become something great because they have the strength from the adversity that they went through or that they've gone through. And then they also have the hope that that little shimmering light out there. That's like, hold on, wait a minute. It doesn't have to be like this. And then, you know, they, they have a they have a totally different drive uh, to, to become something better or to live a better life because they understand what it's like on the, the opposite side of the tracks there. Yeah, there's such a um, yeah, this is so good, man. I'm just th- I'm putting this together in my mind and like understanding I'm getting even more clarity on it because um we always talk about building influential men and you know, that influence could be as little as what JP said, where like you may have a short interaction with someone and that could be something that they hold on to that allows them to, to pull themselves out of whatever terrible situation they're in or, or to see, like you said, to see that there is uh, a light at the end of the tunnel and, and uh, it doesn't have to be like this. And, you know, um, I can, I, I can say that in my estimation in, in uh, JP's example there, I would imagine the difference between the former and the latter of those two people is that maybe there was a coach or an uncle or a friend or a neighbor or whatever that spoke into this one. And that the, the kid that decided to aspire to be more <clears throat> and they held on to that. Whereas maybe the other kid never had that other person. Maybe all they had was the household environment and they never had that coach or they never had that other, you know, their friend's dad or, or person at church or whatever it may be, they never had that. And so maybe they never had something to grasp onto. You know, you hear about that, uh, right. science experiment about the <laughs> in the water and they'll keep swimming to get out of the bucket as long as they can see a light. And then as soon as they turn the light off, they stop swimming and they drown and die. It's because they had hope, right? They had some kind of hope <laughs> that they could get out and live. And if you really, whoo, this messed me up. If you really, Think about, I'm the emotional one too, John, <laughs> if you haven't picked up on that. Um, I'll cry with you. He's like, statue, you know, like, he's like the statue of David, both in the looks and the stoicism. Um, I'm, I'm, the one that, I'm the one that's just like, I, I just let it all out, but I don't really have any choice. But I'm just thinking about like, man, every opportunity that we have to be that little glimpse of light that that grounded <clears throat> child can hold on to, that little piece of hope, that little speck of hope that they can like hang on to. I mean, if for no other reason to develop yourself and and, and to have a, a be a strong man of character than that, if you have one kid that can dig themselves out of just a traumatic, traumatic, terrible situation, then it's worth it, right? And so as you're speaking about this, I'm thinking – how important now in in your example, like JP said, you could say women, obviously, or people in, in general, you had an aunt that was that glimpse of hope for you that spoke into you that, that created uh, a, a mentality of victory for you. Um, so it could be anybody, right? It's not, it, that oh, yeah. doesn't matter. That's, that's beside the point. The point is that uh, we can, we can literally influence uh, and we talk about this with guys all the time. <clears throat> I think we fall into this trap, of, especially people look into the the uh, the men's coaching space, and they think you got to be some high achieving CEO or entrepreneur or whatever. The fact of the matter is, you could be, uh, you know, 
turning wrenches at the mechanic shop, you're still influential. If you are a man of character, you're still influential to those around you, including any younger people that, that you cross paths with. So, you know, or that you have the opportunity to influence and it's just being intentional about number one, building that character and then being intentional about um, impacting those that, that, that you're around. So, man, this is, I'm feeling really good about the work we do here, guys. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, man. For sure. You know, I, I'll tell you what I also learned <clears throat> about working with vets that could be helpful as men in general is, um, we stopped calling ourselves mentors because I, I, I've written a lot of mentoring programs, peer-to-peer -peer programs. Um, and um, men in general, but mo most veterans, they don't like to be called mentors because we're still working on our own messed upness. And man, don't look at me like I'm a mentor because I'm not, you know? And so we adopted, you know, a peer advisor program. We're a peer advisor. I can be a peer advisor, but I don't want to be a mentor. You know, and that really is a small little distinction. And something you said earlier, you know, Cam, um, you can learn something at any age as a man. You don't have to sit down and be stuck in your dad's archetype, you know, uh, or the hard man archetype. You can still be a hard man, but you can understand the, the cost of that. You're passing that on to your kids. And like for me, my dad never touched me, like hugged me ever. It wasn't about that. You know, we wrestled. He showed me affection by shoving me around, you know, and I found myself doing that with my son. But then I learned something really, really valuable, you know, that I, that we didn't, we didn't show affection as men. And my dad transferred that to me and I'm right in front of myself. I'm watching myself wrestle with my son as a way of loving him. You know, and things shifted for me. I went through ex some experiences and it was really helpful. You don't have to become a warm and fuzzy man where you're just hugging all the time. But like I got two grandsons and, and a granddaughter. And a lot of times when they're playing video games, I sit down next to them. I just put my hand on their side and they just know I'm there. Right. Like that's a form of connection that he's learning between us he's wiring it up and I'm, I'm just, you know, I love him and I'm just, I'm just being here with him and, you know, he'll, he'll kind of lean over a little bit, you know, the other son, you know, he was really quiet, other grandson, he was really quiet and he was just super serious. He just stare at you. You know, I just put my, I just rub my thumb on his temple and just say, good boy, you're a good boy. You know, and just, he would just like, like one time he relaxed so much, he peed on me. Right. <laughs> He just like, he just like, he looked so tense. And then the instant I started just rubbing his temple, told him he was a good boy. He just like, his whole facial expression just changed. So you don't have to become a big softy, but just the power of just some gentle, like putting your hands on your kids and just, just being with them. It's all it's really required at some level to change their perception about how they want to be with their kids. I think there, I mean, we could all talk about how often we hear about the trauma that is caused within people in general, where they don't, they didn't feel love from their dad, or they they weren't sure if their dad loved them, or there was, you know, there was never clarity there because maybe there was no affection or there was no words or whatever it may have been. And I know for me, um, I knew my dad loved me, but he's not a, a huggy guy. Like I still have to force him to give me a hug because it's just not his nature. Um, now, he didn't start saying I love you, you know, <clears throat> off the phone with each other until I was an adult. Now, when I was a kid, he would tell me or whatever. But my point is, I, I as I became a father, one thing I was certain of is my kids will never wonder if daddy loves them. Like they are going to know that daddy loves them. And it, it, that means some type of physical connection, is, at least in my summation. I believe it, there's something there. You have to hug on your kids or put your arm around them or whatever. And uh, and just let them know that because there's 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 uh, as you said, there's some kind of something releases from you that you like there's no there's no stress. There's no I don't know. And I'll speak from a Christian perspective when you really are connected with your creator when and when you understand God's love for you and, and you know that there's some kind of peace that comes with that and strength that comes with that that is you can't understand and you also can't replace. There's nothing like it. And I believe that that's just an example of how it is between a father and a son here on earth 
is, you know, for, when I'm performing at my best is when I'm feeling that love and connection from my father, you know, because I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. When we're boys. We all want to impress our dad. We want to like, Hey, look at this. We want to, we want to show off. We want to, we want him to, to um, just think the world of us and everything that we're doing. You know, we want his respect. We want all those things and we'll do crazy stuff to try to get it. And if we don't, as kids, we see it like people do some really crazy stuff to try to fill in that gap. Um, yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot more to what you're saying there than maybe sometimes we allow ourselves to believe. So well, I think just being, you know, vocally self-critical of my, you know, I, I personally default to the tough guy kind of like with my kids, I'd rather rough them up a little bit and stuff like that. Like in a, in a loving fashion, it's not like an abusive fashion or anything like that. But, um, and I think a lot of, <laughs> I think a lot of that has come from, you know, my past trauma that has hardened my heart a little bit to the point where it's like, you don't let anybody hurt you. But the problem with that is you create a closed off environment where now they can't accept anybody uh, or accept love. Right. So and and I and, and and I don't I don't do that all the time. What I'm what I'm getting at is it's very intentional for me to look at my kids and go, "Hey, I love you," and give them hugs and and like love on them and stuff like that. Even as awkward, and you can you can ask Cam because I know you don't know me, John, but um, I'm not the huggy kind of guy. That's just I've, I've never really been been that type. Like I, I'm like that with my wife, but like other men, because uh, most of my trauma came from men, right? Not not from women. My mom my mom was around, uh, but uh, it, it was, you know, for me, it was always a standoffish thing with that. It was kind of like, Hey, I can do business deals with you. I can communicate <clears throat> with you. I can do whatever needs to be done. But from an affectionate standpoint, um, it wasn't there. Right. Because it, there was always a betrayal, uh, with, as far as my view of men, um, you know, so with my kids, you know, one of the things is like, we talk about trans, uh, transforming the trauma as opposed to trans transferring it is I, I intentionally, and it's not natural for me, but I intentionally have to go, hey, listen, I love you, buddy. Hey, I just want you to know you're amazing. Daddy loves you no matter what, you know. And then to your point, watching a movie or something like that, instead of being in my own spot where I want to be at, I intentionally will put my arm around, you know, my son and then kind of pull him in and rub his hair or, or do whatever I need to do. And and what's what's been crazy about that for me is that has been therapeutic for me to help recover. My kids have helped me dramatically on transforming a lot of the trauma because I've been intentional about showing love and affection in a safe environment where I know these kids can't hurt me, you know, kind of thing. And it's kind of a crazy, crazy thing to think about, you know, as, as time has progressed, you know, throughout uh, my, my fatherhood and learning how to be, you know, a dad and stuff like that. And uh, it's uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty ironic. You're gonna you're gonna make a generational change just by doing what you're doing, man. Oh. You know, it's good for you, it's good for them, but man, you're gonna have great grandkids that are gonna be like you're you're passing on all the right vibes. You can be strong. You can still reach out and choke somebody if you have to, right? But you know, it's you only have so much time, you know, in this world. Like uh, like we, we all in this call, I'm a little older than you guys, but you know, we're not kids anymore, but we're not elderly either. And time matters differently right now, you know, and, you know, for, for me, personal development was my ticket because I wasn't going to counseling, you know, and personal, professional, transformational development is what has really helped me a lot. And, um, and it all, it all came down from like, you ever heard of the um, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey? Heard of it, not super familiar with it. I'll, I'll share. I'll share this with the, with your audience. There's a really great documentary called Finding Joe. It's about finding Joseph Campbell, and it's a documentary about Joseph Campbell's life. He wrote a book called a Hero at a Thousand Faces. He um, he was a writer and uh, a student of you know different cultures and different tribes. You know Native American, First Nation. Uh, civilizations and cultures around the world from ancient history to present. And he studied them and he found that their, their oral history, their folklore, you know, all shared some really common themes. And he, uh, he basically 
wrote about this, this common theme that all stories from oral history follow this arc. And he was an advisor to Star Wars, creating the, the storyline. You know, he would go to the ranch there while they were producing it and writing it. And it all talks about the, called the monomyth, as he called it. And it's like Luke Skywalker comes home and finds his family dead. But Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up and picks him up. Look at Braveheart. His uncle shows up, picks him up, right? Takes him away, tells him he has a special power. You know, Luke denies it, you know, and then proves to him that there's something really strange and interesting that he does have a special power and then introduces them to Yoda. They do a lot of training. And then he goes through all these challenges and these trials only to realize that he's learning how to wield this. And along the way, he's meeting these magical helpers, you know, Han Solo, and Princess Leia and all these folks. And then the big slaying the dragon, which him is the Death Star. Right, he and only he can use his special power, and then all of them come back, having conquered and vanquished the enemy. Right, they come back and the big celebration. Well, that's the, in the hero's journey. That's bringing home the magic elixir that you've discovered from your journey, and the magic elixir is who you become. That's really the magic, and so, uh, so I say, personal development is. What saved my life, I think, um, Glad kind of provisioned me to save my own life. I would, uh, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Um, but personal development, I mean, that is just, you know, I picked up a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I picked another one up called The Magic of Thinking Big by Schwartz. And I picked up a third one by Dr. Maxwell Maltz, who was a plastic surgeon called Psycho-Cybernetics. And I thought it was such a weird title. I had to look into it a little bit. And he was a plastic surgeon that would make people beautiful, but they couldn't see it because of their low self-image. And I thought, man, that was me. I've got this impeccable persona that's been curated. Marine Corps uniform. I mean, everything just looked and walked and talked spread away. But inside, I was massively broken. Right? And uh, and it is a lack of internal cohesion, as we call it in this our men's work. You know, so you're projecting to the outside world really who you are deep down. If not, that's what we get to work on. Yeah. Like what's not what's wrong with this picture? Um, so I would say to anybody that's listening, you know, also you've got you've got you've got your faith, and there's massive amounts of support and resources for sure, and. There's also what you do with your time and with your waking hours and how you're putting effort towards being becoming who you're meant to be. That's why the subtitle of my book is The Relentless Pursuit of Becoming Who We Are Meant to Be. That's what it is. And you got to get with it and you can't quit and you got to keep moving. When it hurts the most, you got to keep moving, you know? And so uh, it's about it's about addition to your faith. It's like, what are you taking action on? And I, I'll share you an interesting story about that if you if you like. But yeah, I would. I'd like to just you know double down on what you're saying. You know, personal development obviously played a huge role in my life and for JP. You know, and that uh, working <clears> on ourselves and then understanding how you know our association uh, affects us and all these different things. Um, but I can't it's it's hard to put into words what uh, daily disciplines do for someone and, you know, how my mind has been transformed through uh, what I've been able to read. I mean, you're rattling off these books. I'm like, yep, huge impact on my life, huge impact on my life, you know? And, and uh, there's a reason that we named our coaching program men reforged. It's because we truly believe that at any, we've, we've had guys come through our, our uh, high carbon experiences that are, 19, 20 years old. And we've had some come through that are 60 something years old, you know, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what stage of life you're in. It doesn't really matter, you know, your age, anything. What matters is that you want to be a better version of yourself and that you are going to take ownership of that and take daily actions on developing uh, yourself in the different areas that we teach um, because personal development works regardless of age. I mean, granted, I wish I'd have started that journey when I was a lot younger, I started when I was around 25 years old, you know, and I started when I was 15. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm further along now, who knows, but 
but either way it's it's reforged for a reason because we can we can restart we can we can redevelop ourselves uh at any point we want to so uh thank you for sharing that piece of it because until people take action on the personal development side of it i don't know really what what hope they have <laughs> honestly i mean i didn't you know but if you um, get a chance if you get a chance um i would say do an internet search for the strangest secret by earl nightingale great one it's great okay. he he wrote and recorded that in 1956 and it sold more copies of anything else in personal development history and it's a talk about why a little boy a little girl grows up to become who they became or become and along this line he tells a great story about uh, a pastor who's going down a country road one day thinking about what he's going to you know talk about at his sermon on sunday and he there's this beautiful farm with a farmer coming along the fence line and he hails him over this gorgeous farm and he said something to the effect of <clears throat> What a beautiful farm God has blessed you with. And the guy thought about it for a second and he said, yes, God has blessed me with a beautiful farm. But you, you should have seen this place when he had it all to himself. <laughs> you know, and I thought, you know, I, I thought that was really, that's really it, man. We each get our own parcel of land and it's what we do with it. You know, and so, you know, a lot of my work really is pointing at great teachers and great things that I've learned and not sucking up the credit like it's mine. You know, that's huge. You got to give credit, man. There's so many, so many really great teachers out there and all they require a little, is a little respect, you know, and they and they really appreciate it when we tr give tribute to their wisdom and then we 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 each have our own synthesis of life. That's what I write about. That's my unique insight. But I love sprinkling in these little nuggets and pointing people in a direction. I get more comments from people saying, you know what? I listened to some Jim Rohn. That's amazing. Like I'd never heard of him. So I think what I'm doing is introducing people to yeah. a whole library of resources in my work. And I got, a, I got another book coming up that I'm writing along the same lines about going through transformational work with real groups and real people and not talking about conversational stuff, uh, excuse me, confidential stuff, but being able to share how it opens you up. It, it, my, 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 I think my value is, is a guide, but helping to introduce people into different things that are good for them, men and women, but, mostly focusing on men right now yeah yeah we we feel strongly the same way as like man we we got we we have some things figured out but only because people taught us <laughs> and uh you know a lot of what we do is regurgitating uh information and mindset and then directing people towards you know the resources that they can grow themselves you know um and maybe in some way playing some type of role of you know creating a community or creating um, a shoulder, you know, that you can lean on or, or whatever, whatever it may be. But by, by no means are we the, the end all know all. Uh, um, I mean, hell, I'm still in my twenties. How could I possibly know everything? <laughs> right, JP? That's absolutely right. Absolutely correct. No, I think it's a, you know, it's a responsibility, right? Like of, of, you know, a, a mentee to eventually pass the mentor. What's the purpose, right? Like your, your, your job or your, your your payback is to pass, but your 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 responsibility is to be humble enough in that situation when you do surpass the mentor to be able to look back and say, "I'm here because of you," right? Not, "Oh, I've surpassed. I'm better now." Um, and that's you know one of the things that that I I, I want for every man uh, that we specifically deal with is. I want you to surpass me, right? Just like, just like your kids, right? I want, I want my kids to be better than me one day. And if I do my job effectively, then they're going to be better than me in, in whatever it is that they want to be great at, right? Like they don't have to be more athletic than me or whatever it may be, but maybe it's joy. Maybe they have more joy than I did, right? Like maybe they figure it out earlier, right? It's just like carving the the woods, like a path through the woods, right? The mentor carves a path. So, so of course they're going to move slower, Right. So it's going to take them 20 years to make this much progress. But because you're able to walk behind them, now you can make the same distance in two years. Right. And, and of course, you're going to catch up to them quicker because they've already carved the path for you. 
right? Now it's your job to start chopping trees. Now it's your job to start clearing out some land, um, you know, and, and it's, it's uh, the, the big thing about um, uh, it, the, the phrase um, what's it called? Uh, Humble and victory without bitterness and defeat um, is y- you aspire to become great. And when you become great, you stay humble at that point. Right. And you understand that there were a lot of people involved. You don't, nobody becomes great by themselves. There's a lot of people involved to get you to that point. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, I, I, I pray that one day, you know, my, my children specifically, but all the clients that we work with and stuff like that all surpass me. Um, and then are humble enough to be able to go, I didn't get here on my own because ultimately they have to pass that on and not because I need the edification, but because that kind of mentality needs to be passed on to the next generation in order to move forward. We have to live that way. Cause if we get arrogant in it now, all of a sudden we're stuck. Well, the truth, the truth is too. And John, we joke about this a lot. You know, uh, one of the advantages of trying to create some type of platform that maybe adds value to the world is that we get to have uh, amazing access to people like yourself and all the guests that we've had on the show. And so we essentially get like a free hour of coaching (laughs) for ourselves and then we can, you know, absorb it all, you know? So it's like, maybe somebody else listens to the podcast. That's awesome if they do, but if they don't, we still got to hear it, you know? Um, So it's a, it's a win-win to say the least, you know? Well, JP, you mentioned something that caught my ear is, um, Sometimes mentoring is about just being quiet, let somebody stew, letting somebody be where they are, you know, and I had a guy one time that really pissed me off because I was a hard-headed Marine and I was out of the military. I was no longer in the military, but I sure, I, I just had a mindset, you know, and um, he said, um, I'm not going to have this conversation with you. You're about 10 years away from us even being able to talk about this topic. And I'm like, wait a second. You know, I'm I'm smart. <laughs> what are you saying to me, man? Like, yeah. let's do it right now. And he's like, nope, I'm not doing it. And sure as yep. I'm, sta- I'm sitting here, I'm like, like, like right about nine or 10 years later, I'm like, man, I see it. Thank you. <laughs> right. Thanks for pointing that out. Although it was really upsetting, you know, um, <clears throat> but there, there's a guy. There's a guy named Eric Hoffer, who was a line shoreman back in like the 40s of last century, you know, and he um, he wrote he was a writer, he was a philosopher, but he's this big burly guy. Right. And he and he wrote something that I inscribed that I, I really share with a lot of a lot of people, a lot of vets. He said in, in times of change. In times of change. Learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with the world that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And that was me, man. Like the military world no longer existed. And I showed up as learned instead of curious. Wow. And boy, the, that will get your attention. If you helping people show up and realize that they're beautifully equipped to deal with the world that no longer exists, but they're walking around looking and walking and talking and being certain that'll blow up on you, you know? And the sooner we can share these things with people, like be a, be a student, be curious, man. Don't lose your curiosity, you know? That's huge. I hope people heard that. And I know um, I know we're running short on time here. I, I feel like we haven't been able to dive into half of what I wanted to ask you about, but that just means we get to do it again. <laughs> so um, I definitely, definitely there are some other topics that uh, – we want to have a conversation with you on, but JP, just for the sake of time, is there anything else that you wanted to hit on before we wrap up for this particular episode? No, I think that's, I think that's great. I think the the last thing that you said there, I think it's, it's, it's intriguing that in today's society, we, we always feel like we have to have the answers for everything. Right. And, and sometimes we forget to be the student, right? Sometimes we're so entrenched in having the answer in conversations that we forget to listen and we forget to, you know, have that curiosity open because we're always looking to provide the answers. Um, and uh, and I think that's important. It's crazy that you said that because I was literally just thinking about that the other day on one of my drives. You know, I tend to try to get quiet, think about things when I'm driving. But uh, that was exactly what went through my mind is I, I struggle to listen. That, that's a, That's something for me that I'm always 
you know, I, I'll listen, but then like ideas start popping in my head. My, my brain runs a million miles an hour and I'm sitting here thinking about all these conceptual things, how things come together. Um, you know, and I, I forget to be the student at that point in time, I start just being the, you know, provocateur of the conversation. Um, and, and I think that that's very important. So, but, uh, yeah, outside of that, uh, biggest thing, John, I, I really appreciate it. You can tell that, uh, you've, you've had several years. I think you, you put down 30, 30 years of, uh, personal growth, but I would argue you've, you've got 60 of it. Uh, part of it was really hard. The other part was voluntary. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, really, really appreciate your time. A lot of insight there and looking forward to doing part two. Absolutely. Happy to come back. Yeah, for sure. And as we wrap up, could you just share again, I think you had a couple books or a couple resources there and then how people can find you, whether that be through social media or website or whatever. Yeah, my the, my main website is harvestingwisdom.com. Um, harvestingwisdom.com. And on there, you can see the two audio books, which my first one, Transitioning Veterans, How We Get in Our Own Way and What to Do About It. Uh, and on the front page is the is the book and the audio book links. And you know? so it's Be the Dawn in the Darkness, a Relentless Pursuit of Becoming Who We Are Meant to Be. And for people who just want to dip their toe in and just kind of check it out, Right there on the front page, you can listen. You can you can download the first seven chapters in a PDF, and uh, or you can listen to the four, uh, first four chapters on me. Um, and it's got links right there to go buy it too. That's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, a bunch of other places. Nice, nice, awesome, man. Well, hey, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for just being on here. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, no doubt this is going to have a huge impact on our audience and uh, we'll certainly want to follow up on this and continue this conversation. Cause I, I want to get into some of this plant-based medicine stuff and get your story on that. Uh, oh, really? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, I tell you what, that for me, uh, man, it's so, so profound. We got it. We got to get back together. I'll talk we'll all about it. it. We'll do it for sure. And now that everybody's, you know, eager to hear that as well it should be a good uh, a good follow-up for us so <laughs> um all right yeah. thank you so much we'll talk soon everybody go check out uh harvestingwisdom.com uh check out john henry parker on social media and uh his go find his books uh i'm looking forward to digging into those as well and uh have an amazing week guys and you've been a part of the movement